WWE programming just got a major facelift. We have an Extreme Rules Top 5 and how the 24-7 title is actually still entertaining. It's the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. Walked into the studio today, that being my job, in which we are doing this fine show at, and uh, I had no idea that what we were going to talk about would actually be coming to fruition. It's the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast, Boss Ross and the J-Man. We have so much to talk about. It's actually a regular week, which means we have three count for the first time in weeks. Match segment show of the week. We even have a top five. It's going to be Extreme Rules themed. And yes, as I said before, a major facelift for WWE that I that I and many other people have been pining for with an extra bonus. J-Man, what's going on, brother? I, it just feels so good to be back. Uh, I bet. Yeah, it's been, what, two weeks? I held down the fort and did uh, two shows in a row solo. You did, and for that, I thank you. I was obviously working behind the scenes with uh, all those shows, so it's not like I left. No, um, you left. I just yeah. threw you scraps and whatever and was like... <laughs> I need you to do this, you... <laughs> you will post Instagram. You bastard, you better do this or you're fired! Yes. Sorry, that was really loud, but it's It was. Okay. Yeah, well... I'm- I'm 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 actually probably gonna have to delete that. That's actually, fine. that's okay. okay. The point is, you're back. I'm very happy. It feels good to be back. I love there, that. I missed you, man. So, uh, we were originally going to give you time to give thoughts on the last pay per view, right. but unfortunately, there was huge news that happened. Yeah, that I made you aware of. Yes, you did. Yeah, actually, I texted uh, and, you first thing this morning. And what's and what's funny is that I was actually listening to a podcast involving one of these gentlemen and. I went back in the Wayback Machine on the mm-hmm. WWE Network and watched a previous episode, of course, of WCW 2000. As you should. Because uh, I am the aficionado of everything WCW 2000 for absolutely no reason. <laughs> the big news is that Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff are now back within the- WWE programming. Yep. Now, let us clarify. This is not okay. So basically, Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff have been named executive directors for both World Wrestling Entertainment Raw and SmackDown Live. This is not one of those kayfabe titles like Shane and Stephanie have. They, nope. They're the commissioner of Raw and commissioner of SmackDown. It's the real deal. This is real stuff. This is, they are the creative directors of each show. Paul Heyman will be overseeing Raw. Eric Bischoff will be overseeing SmackDown. They are reporting to one person and one person only. That is Vincent Kennedy McMahon himself. Now, let's also get a clarification because I did read this point of news. Yeah. In that when SmackDown goes to Fox. When SmackDown goes to Fox, Bischoff will be dealing with the Fox higher-ups. That is correct. That Now, that doesn't mean that he will not have to answer to Vince McMahon, who's still the owner of the company. It's basically Vince is right-hand man when it comes to SmackDown on Fox is Bischoff, and I'm going to assume that Paul will be discussing things with the USA higher-ups, but because Vince is probably going to still be more affiliated with Raw, it'll be a Vince-Paul thing where it's more of a Bischoff thing with Fox. 
So uh, remember also back in the day when Bischoff and Heyman were characters. Yes. Uh, Heyman was running SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Bischoff was running Raw. And they've completely flipped so the script. So they flipped it. Yeah. But here's 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 what I want to plug your thoughts on since we're this is basically our news section yeah, today, for everybody. Sure. Is that, first of all, I've been pining for Paul Heyman to yes, have you more have. responsibility for years. Yes. Now, can I piggyback off of that you really can. quickly? I apologize. Prior to this even being made official, there were reports saying that over the past few months, Heyman was actually working backstage with a couple of talents. Good. One name that was thrown around, which will make all the sense of the world for a couple of different reasons, but he was working a lot with Ronda. Good. Which makes total sense because Ronda Rousey is basically a Paul Heyman girl. That's She's also pretty much the female equivalent of Brock, Brock Lesnar on that show. We have said this for mul- on multitude of occasions, but it made sense that Paul would be working with Ronda, which makes sense in the sense that you probably heard, and I and I said this on multiple occasions over our podcast, uh, Ronda's promo skills got 10 times better as she went along. It if did. that was because of Paul Heyman, no surprise there. My point being, you have been saying it across this desk, you have been saying it for conversations throughout the past two years of our friendship how is Paul Heyman not working enough backstage now they have answered the call they have made that a possibility they have made it a reality they brought in one of the greatest minds of the 90s and 2000s and Eric Bischoff which we'll get to in a second and people one thing that I've been reading on here is people are asking well what's going on with Triple H well here's the thing Triple H is running NXT Still so is. it's so that's the great thing. So th- to me, that means that Trips takes all of his power and all of his knowledge and concentrate it into one brand. Which can you imagine the amount, the magnitude that that'll go ahead and allow NXT to fruition into? Like when you're putting 100% of your creative mind into one brand. And Plus, then he's it, also got Regal. He's so. got Regal mm-hmm. over there too. Yes. And then Steph can con- can continually concentrate on the actual title that she's working under, which is. In all reality, the chief brand officer of WWE. So that means she's continuing the marketing efforts on the outside. And then Shane O'Mac will just go ahead and continue to work backstage with Paul Heyman and with Eric Bischoff, who has he's been working with for years and years and years. Yes. So when you and and um um Bruce Pritchard is still back there. He obviously got hired right before WrestleMania. Yes. Yes. uh, He's been back for a little bit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Correct. So you take all these things. WWE has made has done two things. One, they have gone the right route because they needed new minds, fresh minds, and guys who know the business like the back of their hands. Two, and I hate to talk about this, but I, I got to, so bear with me. They're prepping, they're prepping for war. They're prepping for war. JR went over to AEW. Cody's got all these minds in AEW. This is Vince answering back. And I'm sorry, Vince hit this sucker right out of the park. Also, they and and just to let everybody know, they've they've already seen the effects of what AEW programming has done. If you watch the last pay-per-view or two, AEW, AEW has has done their pay-per-views building up to their main events. Have you noticed there have not been any um what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, dead spots. Dead spot matches. Yep. You haven't seen those. No, you have not. Because they're directly Influenced by what AEW is doing. 
the WWE title match at Stomping Grounds was legitimately the semi-main event. Exactly. It was the second to last match. Which, by the way, you should build up your crowd to the best matches because you want them to be, again, you don't want them to not care early on. You're yeah. just building them up. No, and I by agree. the way, you don't have to follow that formula all the time because there are some pay-per-views and some events where you want to start really hot or you need to start with an actual gimmick match. WrestleMania is a perfect example of that. Yes. So there are times where you switch it up. But if you have a system that works to where you're building, building, building in your crescendos at your main event, perfect. So uh, I will I will finish with Heyman, and then I will kind of take lead on Bischoff. Please, go ahead. So, again, uh, I've said before, Heyman needs to be either doing promo classes or helping write the show or having more of a leadership role than just being an on-air character, right. which is primarily what his job has been. Yes. I'm not saying that's the only job, but it's a lot of the primary things that he's done. Right which he's been great at. He's always been great at it. So with Paul Heyman, it's a natural step for him to be running raw because he's always been, I, I get it. He was, he was the founder of ECW and then the WWE actually was funding ECW for a while. Some people don't actually know that. So he's been a WWE guy for a long time. Yes, he has. 2000 so, and 2000, 2001. So it makes sense for Paul Heyman to be around the flagship show and help kind of nurture it into what it needs to be. And not to mention, unless this changes dramatically, but from all accounts, Brock Lesnar is still going to be on Raw. And from all accounts, Paul Heyman will probably still be an on-air character, which would make sense if he was still to continue to go along in his partnership with Brock Lesnar. That may be changing in October, though. That, 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 That could happen. All of a sudden... Something that because that was that's been thrown around a lot mm-hmm. with them with WWE taking this a lot more seriously with the signing of these two, that could very well be the case. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So now I know a lot of people are very weary about them hiring Eric Bischoff back because, well, let's 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 just let's just say how it is. Mm-hmm. Eric Bischoff has done something that no other promoter has ever done with the WWF at the time, E now, which is they were kicking their ass for for, 83 straight weeks for the better part of two years. They took them to the limit. Yes, they did. He also, now I realize it wasn't his idea, and I realize he had help of two guys that came over and another superstar that they had signed a couple years earlier, but the idea of the New World Order with Hall and Nash and Hogan, it revolutionized and changed the business, and we still see its impact today. You want to know why the Undisputed Era is loved so much? Because they're basically NWO light. I know that's not giving enough credit to them, and it's not a slam against the Undisputed Era. They're all talented, but if, I don't know, you listen to their music, how they act, how they're treated the actual scope of what they do as a super group. And by the way, they're not the only ones because other groups have also mimicked the same thing. DX was the exact same way, right? Mm -hmm. Evolution was similar to that as well. Again, different storylines, but when you have groups like that. So Nation. the, The entire point is that Eric Bischoff has a great mind for the business. Now, I realize that people give him a lot of, you know, downplay for the fact that the actual company of WCW lost a ton of money in 99 and the aforementioned 2000 and also in 2001. And then he went to TNA, which is now called impact with Hogan and not really much improved except for they were spending more money. And it's, it is what it is. The entire point is that Eric Bischoff 
has a great mind for this business. Can I ask you a question? When Eric Bischoff came into uh World Wrestling Entertainment in the year 2002 and took over as a as the general manager, kayfabe, obviously. I'm back. Yeah. And I'm better, better than, than ever. ever. By the way, listen to that song and then listen to Dead Man Walking. Same music. You've told me that, actually. Yeah, it's good times, yeah. actually. Um, was Eric Bischoff he... and The Undertaker in the same sentence. Go on. Love it. Was he working as much backstage writing the show? No. He was uh, just an artist. He, he was, was just simply brought in as a character. Okay, because he was actually, fantastic. Which actually, he's gone on record and said that he thoroughly enjoyed his time. I'm sure. In WWE, just being a character. He was Because great. of all the nonsense he had to deal with at the very end of WCW. Because remember, they let him go in September of 99. They brought him back in April of 2000. That's when we had the reboot, when him and Russo were both back together. Right. We all know how that turned out. But- you know, he he had been burned out as as the position he had been in. He took a break, came back. Because he was the president of WCW, if I'm not mistaken. He was. Yeah. He took over for Bill Watts. Yeah. So, the entire point is that when you just make Eric Bischoff do one thing he's really well, mm-hmm. he's really good at it. Yeah. Now, again, is he more of an old school way of thinking? Yes, he is. So is Paul Heyman, though. In a different way. Yeah. So, so. Think of it this way. Paul Heyman is old school thinking that also has new hip ideas. Whereas Eric Bischoff is old school thinking and can kind of cater that old school thinking into a newer form while still making it work, even Mm -hmm. though it doesn't have the newer, more modern touch to it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So this is the way that I would look at it. I think that in order to get the perfect balance out of everything, if you were to pair up Eric Bischoff with Triple H and you were to pair up... uh, Vince McMahon with Paul Heyman, you've got a winning formula. Why? Because it balances each other out. Because the level of new school and old school mentality that goes along together mm-hmm. would send WWE exactly through the lanes that it needs to get to. Yes. That's that's my thought process on Very it. much so. At the end of the day, this is a major, major pickup. Major move. Major move. I'm incredibly happy about this. I could not believe it when Sports Illustrated brought out the story this morning. I was like, this has got to be inaccurate. No. This is great. Paul Heyman is long, long due for this. And Eric Bischoff, I think that he's been sidelined enough to the point that maybe he's recalibrated his brain and he can take something that's already great and just put the winning aspects on it. This is a. I'm telling you, WWE is prepping for war, and I hate to say that. I don't like it because I'm trying not to get myself pumped up over all elite wrestling and the competition that they may bring. But let's be honest. They they're here to compete, so WWE needs to go ahead and get all its reinforcements that it can. And uh, this is huge. I'm so happy. Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman, executive directors of both Raw and SmackDown. Triple H still running NXT, and he'll be working on the global end with uh, Stephanie and the and the marketing and uh, wherever they place Shane to go ahead and either continue his uh, on-screen character, but let's be honest, we all know that Shane has been working backstage a lot over the past few years, and he does have great ideas. Whether or not the heel character of Shane McMahon is something that we agree with or not, the man knows his stuff. He was the mastermind, well, along with Paul Heyman, for the ECW reboot back in 05-06. So let's give the man credit when it's due. I, I don't know. I'm very, very pumped. I've been waiting for hours throughout the day to get on this chair 
turn on the mic, have you turn on your mic, and us talk about this because this is magnificent. I'm absolutely thrilled. Um, Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff are it's 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 just okay now. The cynical side of me actually believes that they're doing this because maybe AEW was thinking about doing something similar. I'm sure that uh, maybe in the case of Bischoff, because Heyman's already under contract. True, although they could have offered him money, and Paul could have said, "Okay, I'm out." But I agree. Which, which, by the way, actually, Paul Heyman got uh, he he was actually given the option. They were going to pay him a lot of money to actually go to Impact. You've said that, yeah. This was a while ago. And then the whole Hogan stuff happened and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, Heyman, Bischoff, Raw, SmackDown. Uh, they, there was a story that I posted up on our Instagram page. Go ahead and give us a shout. Yes, the Double Turn Podcast on Instagram. <laughs> one and only J, the one and only J-Man 19 is his Instagram account. Ross the Real Boss 85 is my Instagram account. By the way, before you say this, uh, because I've also been repping it, and I highly suggest you get one. Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, I was listening to the podcast last Thursday. Boss last Ross, Friday, I say. TDT. That's T, D as in dog, T, the double turn, first three letters. That's yep. my Twitter handle. You can see uh, all of my uh, all of my love on there, which I also put up these podcasts as well on my Twitter site. You can do that. So I'm imploring you to get a Twitter, if for nothing else, this show. No, that's fair. There that's you go. fair. I mean, it's going to be a lot. No, it's a, by the way, if we had more time, man, would I address some of the comments that you made towards me on last Friday and Monday's <laughs> show. But we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. So I'm going to let it slide. You and your boy Triple H. Oh, and I, heard, I heard it all. You. I heard it all. You, you, you mean, mean man. <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Satin. Ryan Satin or Satine? Ryan it's Satin. Satin. Okay. Um, one of pro wrestling's best journalists. You've mentioned this on multiple occasions. He put up a tweet. I put it up on our story. Vince McMahon, Paul Heyman, and Eric Bischoff are in major positions of power in wrestling. Aladdin and Men in Black are showing in theaters. Pizza Hut is using their OG logo, and Keanu Reeves is adored by everyone again. We've officially re-entered the 90s. I agree with that entire fact. That was amazing. The only thing that would have been missing is if you were watching the Captain Marvel movie, which was all 90s nostalgia. Literally the entire movie. I still haven't watched it yet, actually. Yeah, don't. You don't need to. I also still haven't watched uh, Endgame, but uh, I can thank my wife for that because she hasn't watched Black Panther or Infinity War yet. There you go. Which, obviously, I still haven't watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's not the point. We are a pro wrestling podcast. And guess what time it is? May I? Go ahead. Because I haven't said it in months or weeks. Go ahead. (coughs) It's that time. Everybody's down for the three count. Indeed, it is the three count in which we go over the three most important things going on in the wrestling business to us in the order of a regular three count for wrestling. One, two, three. Or, of course, in my case, one, two, two. Slick back the hair. Slick back the hair, John Cone Shout out to John Cone. Man, we need to get him on this podcast. John Cone would be an amazing guest. Let me tell you, I would, well, let's just say he'd be amazing. Bring him and Nicholas, too. Uh, Yes, because he is a former Tag team champion. That's not something a lot of people can say. Oh, uh, no. Exactly. No. I mean, for the longest time, Kane was a former uh, WWF champion because he accidentally won a match against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And lost it the next night. Yes, because Stone Cold accidentally bled. And the stipulation was the first blood match. They can't make that up. Right. But he always has the title of former World Heavyweight Champion. Too bad corporate Kane never got a run with the belt. That would have been money. Let me tell you. 
money. Could you imagine the pop that he would get if they were in Memphis one night? And- I would pop. I'm I'm well aware you would pop. Can I would you yell. I would probably rush the ring. Just kidding. No, I wouldn't. I have more respect for corporate Kane. I would I would gladly golf clap in the background, because of course he would probably be a heel, and I'm not supposed to cheer heels. Oh, you, you, I you, could get on Tacoma or anybody else on for that too. Um, where were they on Monday night? Because it wasn't Port- Seattle. Uh, were they in Portland? No, they were there for SmackDown on okay. in Portland, but they were somewhere in Washington. Was it Tacoma? It was not. They didn't stay in Tacoma. Uh, That's not the point. Uh, Daniel Bryan was once again very, very over. And he basically kind of had a little bit of a mini face turn with this little um, uh, thing with the revival. It was very interesting. But, uh, sir, since you always like to say, oh, since I have the lead, I'll go first. Uh, You may start the three count. They were in Everett, Washington. Thank you. Thank you. At the Angel of the Winds Arena. That is uh, that, that is sounds name. That sounds very that, that that sounds very Pacific Northwest. Very much. So is it a casino? I don't know. Okay. Probably. Anyways. All right. So three count. Go ahead. I will fully admit when I am wrong, because as I normally say on this show, I am a fair man. I thought this twenty four seven title thing would be a farce. I thought it would be a waste of time. I thought I would mock it every week. Every week I was going to come on this show and complain about how stupid it is and how much they just waste everybody's time. And by the way, there are still segments of it that are total and utter nonsense. However, however, I will tell you that the eight-time 24-7 champion, R-Truth, right? Pretty much any segment he's in involved with the 24-7 title, it's gold. Like, I could go on about the tarmac in which Jinder Mahal pinned him. Jinder Mahal, new five-year deal with WWE. Carry on. Oh, awesome. Don't hinder the gender. And then he then he then repins Jinder on the plane and then hides in the lavatory for the rest of the flight. And then you have all the stuff with Drake Maverick where Maverick dresses up as Carmella, beats him, and then R-Truth pins him at his wedding. And then, and then there was the other one where they were like locked in the elevator, but there was no ref, so nobody went for anything. Oh yeah, it was basically Captain America: The Winter Soldier scene all over again. Yes. Yeah. So they've done some really creative things with the title. Okay. And so what I will tell you is this. Oh, and by the way, I have to mention this too because of everything that they do every week mm-hmm. with with just how creative they get. Because this past week we had what five title changes. Uh, Heath Slater was a first time singles champion then in truth. WWE. Alexander. And then EC3. Yep. And then Truth got it back. Yes, he did. Okay. So I have to say this because even though it's Wikipedia and this can be like altered, my favorite, my favorite location, right? Because there was one on a golf course. This is true. R Truth pinned Jinder Mahal for the 24 7 title on June 6th on a flight to Saudi Arabia for the Super Showdown, 39,000 feet above the Red Sea. <laughs> That is absolutely money, which is funny because Carmella is with him and Mella is money. Mella is money, yeah. Shout, uh, out, to, shout out to her and uh, Corey Graves. So what I will say is this. I still think this has a limited shelf life. <laughs> I still been saying think, that for months now. Oh, but by weeks, the way, I should say weeks. By the way, this has only been in existence for a little over a month. 
Is this okay? This is gonna be the stupidest question I've ever asked on this podcast. Is this now currently the most prestigious title in all of WWE? It is not. I know. Well, that, that, it is. I'm well aware of that. It is is absolutely not. What I will tell you is this: they find new ways to put a smile on your face. Yes. Yes, they do. Now. All the crap with the, like people running around chasing the champions, and then there's just random refs in the middle. That's that shenanigans, right. okay? But <laughs> it's it's just it's awesome. It is. It's just it's it, it, again. I was wrong, and this needs to continue. By the way, uh, I was looking at the hardcore title, which also had twenty four seven rules. Uh-huh. Um. I think Raven's a 27-time hardcore champion. He is. Yeah. Uh, Crash Holly held it for tw- he held it 22 times. Jeez. Stephen Richards held it 21 times. The longest combined days of the 24/7 title was Steve Blackman at 172 days, back when it was just the hardcore title. Wow. He was the six-time champion for 172 days. The Big Boss Man, four reigns, 154 days. Wow. It was also during the time when, like, he was randomly working for McMahon and had a, a bunch of really bad matches. Oh yeah, when Undertaker killed him on uh, at WrestleMania. Plus, he also had that menacing cell block theme. Da-da-da-da-da. Awesome. <laughs> plus, plus, he was also the man that uh, kept Stone Cold Steve Austin from uh, winning ownership of the company by raising the briefcase. What Guy's a, awesome. What a what a guy. He also uh, made fun of the Big Show after his dad died, and we had that great scene of Big Show riding on top of casket. How many we, times have we mentioned that on this podcast? About nine. And then, well, and by the way, that's not a bad thing. And then he was also in the angle with Al Snow, where we were supposed to believe Big Boss Man killed his dog and made Al Snow eat it. Good old 90s wrestling for you. The point is the 24-7 title is entertaining, and I love it, and I don't want it to end. That's my one of my three count this week. Before I get serious with our three count really quickly, because I I think it's great. No, I do think it's great. Hold on. I do think it's great. But a few months ago, we were doing a show, and uh, we were discussing our truth and Kofi Kingston. And I proceeded to tell you, because this is what I think, that I thought not only was Kofi Kingston a Hall of Famer, which you then proceeded to tell me, no, you do not believe he is. Absolutely not. Well, you're wrong on that. I also went ahead and told you that our truth is a Hall of Famer, and you thought I was crazy. Now, you have just stated, and by the way, I heard you say that Kofi versus Dolph at Stomping Grounds was not good. It was great. You did say that. Thank you. You should turn on your mic and actually admit that I'm right because you, I saw you turn off the mic. Turn that mic on and you admit to these people that I'm right. Anyways, is R-Truth a Hall of Famer to you now? He's a former NWA champion, by yes, the way. Yes, he is. Um, for, them, for, for him having to go through all the dumb, silly gimmicks they've put him through. He has made this thing get over. He is, okay, he is as much of a Hall of Famer for the exact same reasons that Goldust is. Be, please explain what I guess I think I know what you're saying, but just so I want to make sure I'm clear. Okay, not everybody can be a world champion. I, I realized I just said that Ron the Truth Killings or R Truth has been a former world champion, the NWA title, which by the way is not a joke. Right. It just moves from company to company. Right. When you are unique, you last a long time, mm-hmm. and you're able to be entertaining with the worst gimmicks ever. Kofi Kingston has been able to do that. 
except Kofi Kingston hasn't had nearly the gimmicks that Goldust and R-Truth have ever been saddled with. That's fair. That's a fair criticism, Whereas Kofi Kingston has just been a guy. I'm Jamaican, and I have an accent, but then I don't. And then I'm from Ghana. Okay. Well, I mean, he's really from Ghana, but Triple H did ask him where his accent went, but that's a whole different story. Your boy, Triple H, trying to make sure that uh, he's Jamaican one day, uh, and then from Ghana another day. uh. I'm just saying. There goes Triple H reference number one on DTT, or I'm, what, what, what? On TDT episode 55. Carry on, I'm sorry. He's going to get, get out his shovel uh, <laughs> and, get, and hit Kofi in the face. Uh. So, R-Truth, Hall of Famer, yes or no? Fine. Fair, thank you. <laughs> yes. I'd, I'd much rather vote for R-Truth than Kofi any day of the week. Whatever. Please continue. All right. My first, let's get serious on the... On the Double Turn podcast, three counts. If segment. I could be serious for a minute, Lance Storm, go on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Kofi Kingston had a match with Sami Zayn on Monday Night Raw, beat him, and then had a match against Kevin Owens, uh, beat him via countout. Kofi Kingston's walking up the ramp. He's celebrating. And then the big man, the big behemoth, the Samoan destroyer, Samoa Joe, comes in. Starts to beat the snot out of Kofi. Delivers an enormous Urunagi uh, on the outside. And then traps him in the Coquina Clutch. And basically murders Kofi Kingston. I bring this up because essentially we are now getting uh, Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe at Extreme Rules for the WWE title. As a fan of Samoa Joe, I would normally go ahead and tell you I'm very happy that Samoa Joe is the number one contender to the WWE Championship. I would rejoice. I would say, this is wonderful. They're going to have a great match, which, by the way, they are because Kofi can go and Samoa Joe can go with anybody, especially a person that wrestles the type of style that Kofi wrestles. We've discussed this. Not to mention, they had a quality match in their gauntlets uh, back in February uh, prior to Elimination Chamber. So we've seen them go at it for about six minutes and can tell you they have enough chemistry to go ahead and give us greatness for 15 minutes. Here's the thing. And I have this question written down on my piece of paper, Ross. How can you get emotionally invested in Samoa Joe being the number one contender to the WWE Championship if the treatment that he continuously gets is start the booking, stop the booking, start the booking, stop the booking? It's the exact same concept that us as wrestling fans have of Dolph Ziggler. You start the push, you end the push. You start the push, you end the push. You said it best when you were doing the review show for Stomping Grounds. You actually actually believed that Dolph, that Dolph Ziggler might pull it off. You had a like a sliver of hope, right? I have no hope with Samoa Joe anymore. What should not have happened, by the way, shout out to Ricochet, okay? Shout out to Ricochet, congratulations, new U.S. champ. Deserves it. I hope that they allow him to be prestigious with that title because the dude can go in the ring. But if he just lost to Ricochet, clean, mind you, What the hell is he doing getting the number one contendership to the WWE title? Why? First of all. Second of all, you can't continue to do this with a person of Joe's... His character. His character is a badass. He is awesome in the ring. He cuts far better promos than half the roster. He's 6'3", 3'10". Something ridiculous like that. And he is legitimately the exact same way as, is it Eric or um, Hansen from the War Raiders, a.k.a. the Viking Raiders. He is 305 Live. Put it to you that way. Right? 
how could you mess up the booking for Samoa Joe, and then when you make him the number one contender to the WWE Championship, I, as a fan, cannot take that seriously. So I have an answer to your question. You usually do. Because it's a B-level pay-per-view and they have to have somebody wrestle Kofi Kingston before SummerSlam? I understand that. Now, what I'm telling you is they should have had a finish at the last pay-per-view that made it so that Dolph had an out to get one more match. This is true. Now. And that's what they did on SmackDown because they gave him a last shot. Now, I am not telling you the way that the last pay-per-view and how it ended with that match mm-hmm. was not a great finish because it was. It was a fantastic I, finish. I admitted it. Yeah. What I'm telling you is they could have had something where, like, Dolph's about to hit the floor and then Kofi dives out and they hit the floor at the same time. So Similar that way, to Roman and Brock at uh, – Except better because Roman actually hit first and Brock was still on the cage and they just made it so that because Brock was speared through the cage, he won. The point is you could mm-hmm. do it to, like, they both hit at the same time so Kofi wins because he's the champion, and they tied, and you could do another match like that. They actually Instead of just having an yeah. impromptu match where Joe, who just lost a title and didn't win a match to be a number one That's contender's the problem match. that I have. That's yes. the problem that I have. So, like, I mean, Samoa Joe is like, oh, I lost the U.S. title. I'm going after this title next. No! Mm-hmm. Just, uh, it is very frustrating. As a fan of Samoa Joe, it's just, it's infuriating to see his start, stop, start, stop booking because he deserves a whole hell of a lot better than that. That's all. All right, my two of my three count, I was excited about it uh, two shows ago. Actually, it might have even been the last show. Uh, I, I I mentioned the breakout tournament for NXT. We had our first match of that this week. We had uh, Joaquin Wild versus Angel Garza. Joaquin Wild, a.k.a. DJZ from Impact. Angel Garza, a.k.a. Garza Jr. from Impact Wrestling. That was a theme I had and that half these competitors used to work for Impact. So they had a match. Now remember, this is a single elimination tournament with eight people in which the winner of this tournament gets a title shot. So NXT starts. It's the first match, right? They're given time. This is their first TV match on NXT. Right now, if this was WCW, this match would have lasted five minutes because it's NXT and they decided, okay, we're going to treat this tournament seriously. We're going to give this match a good chunk of the first real segment of the show, because, of course, remember that they had a main event of a steel cage match with Baszler and Shirai for the NXT Women's Championship, which, by the way, was fire. So they had that in their back pocket, right? So almost everything leading up to it, you're like, well, I'm just kind of waiting for the cage match because that's the main event. Which, by the way, in between this match and the main event, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and Be- not to mention, NXT, I'm sorry, you know what, I'm, not, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Because the steel cage match for the title kind of sells itself, right? But you don't want to shoehorn this tournament that you want everybody to take seriously. So they gave it time. They opened the show with it. They treated it like a big deal. And by the way, the right guy won. Watch the match. Angel Garza ended up winning, by the way. Which, by the way, I am a huge fan of Angel Garza. I don't know if I've ever said that on the show with you present. No, you have not. But I heard last week's show, and you did mention that. The guy had a very bad shoulder injury near his end of his time at Impact Wrestling. Actually, people thought it was going to be the end of his career. 
So one, glad he's still wrestling and that he got over the shoulder injury. Two, glad he's getting a shot with NXT and WWE. And three, they're pushing the right guy because the guy is super talented, and I hope they do something with him. And out of all the guys in this tournament, I see star written on this guy. So for the for the WWE and NXT to take a tournament that was given one week notice, the seriousness it deserves in how they treat things, kudos. That's my two of my three count this week. Love it, dude. Love it. I love it when you go ahead and give the the less known guys shout outs on this podcast because they earned it. They they deserve it, and uh, that'll be a theme in my not this three, not this two, but in my three count. But number two, uh, there was a return to WWE programming this week. Uh, there's this guy named Mark Calloway. He decided to go ahead and come back in Everett, Washington, on a random RAW after stomping grounds. So this guy named Marky Mark, he comes in, he does this little gong, bong. People go, yay, we don't know who this is. And then he's in the ring with Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon, and then he's helping out this guy named Joe. And, uh, I mean, he's doing this lifting slam where you lift them up to the uh, in the air and then you slam them down really, really hard, and he gives them a, a really big boot to the face and whatever. Dead um, man walking. Yeah, so this guy, anyways, he he comes in. You know, I think the last time we saw him, he was wrestling some bald guy in the Middle East. Um, what the hell was Taker doing on Monday Night Raw? Like, <laughs> and by the way, the last time he and Roman were in the ring together, Roman thought, Reigns beat him in Orlando. And by the way, everybody thought that was his retirement match. And then he comes back, and then he misses a big boot to John Cena at WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans. And proceeds to give him a tombstone. John Cena hasn't been the same since because he doesn't show up in WWE program anymore. And then Undertaker, then he proceeded to have a match with Triple H at Super Showdown in Australia. Then he proceeded to have a tag team match with Kane and Triple H and Shawn Michaels in middle, in the Middle East. Apparently, Taker only re- wrestles in B-level pay-per-views and in the Middle East. He doesn't even come to WrestleMania anymore. Pay's probably better. Probably. That's. <laughs> so here's the thing. This is... There's, I have a couple of thoughts regarding Taker being on Raw. Um, he came to back up Roman Reigns. Makes zero sense considering the, sen- the, the, the history between Roman Reigns and uh, The Undertaker. Uh, obviously, Roman Reigns beat him. You know, if you were going to have somebody come back up Roman Reigns, wouldn't have wouldn't that have made sense if it was The Miz, the guy that continuously gets screwed over by Shane McMahon and his goons, you know? Like, Miz can't beat Elias because Shane keeps screwing him over. Miz can't beat Shane because Shane keeps screwing him over. He can't beat the the Revival. He can't beat Drew McIntyre. He can't beat Stephanie McMahon. He can't beat Shane McMahon's sons. Why? Because Shane keeps screwing him over. So wouldn't it have made sense to have Miz be the guy that backs him up and is is tired of all the bullcrap? According to WWE logic, hell to the no. It would have made more sense for a cameo appearance from the Mean Street Posse. Probably. Probably. But then here's the thing. So that's the negative aspect of it. Here's the positive aspect because there is a positive aspect if you if you read into the reports that are happening regarding The Undertaker and a wrestler that I'm about to mention. Undertaker is a legend, an icon. He is the business. Am I correct in saying this? He is the business. He is the phenom. You get chosen... Not by WWE to go in the ring with The Undertaker at this point in his career. You get chosen by The Undertaker himself. 
The reason why I bring this up is there's one reason why Undertaker wanted to enter the feud between Roman Reigns and Shane McMahon. Would you like to know what that reason is, sir? Drew McIntyre. Undertaker has now viewed Drew McIntyre as a star who... This is going to be really condescending towards Drew McIntyre, so please excuse me. But as a star who deserves to be in the same ring as The Undertaker. Drew McIntyre has gone on record saying that he basically respects the crap out of The Undertaker. So, for me as a wrestling fan and for me as a fan of Drew McIntyre, I am ecstatic for this tag team match at Extreme Rules. Because Drew McIntyre is fulfilling this evolution that we have continuously spoken about since he came back to NXT when he was the chosen one back in the day and he just didn't live up to the hype and he went back to the independent circuit, destroyed the game, shredded his body, got a beard, killed it, figured out that the Claymore is the best wrestling move in pro wrestling today and here we are. He's in a tag team match against The Undertaker and Roman Reigns at Extreme Rules. Which, by the way, I'm going to tell you this right now. Do not be shocked if that match main events in Philly. Do not be shocked, because I won't be. And from all accounts, apparently, Taker is prepping for Mania. Apparently, Drew McIntyre is on the short list. So, I end this number two in my three count as shout out to Drew McIntyre. Because he's come back with a vengeance. And he deserves every single accolade that that man is getting to him at this point. Congrats to Drew because he's fulfilling a promise to himself. I'm going to actually really surprise you with my number one this week. Go ahead. I actually commend the Raw brand and WWE for following the natural progression of the storyline. Okay. Now. I'm going to sidestep my thoughts about the fact that they made the Seth and Becky relationship part of this feud, whatever. They kind of shoved it down our throats at the pay-per-view, and then it made sense at the end, but they kind of shoehorned it in, and it was just, to me, it's weak. Right, okay? I get it. Had they not mentioned it nine different times in the first hour, it would have been cool to see Becky show up. It also bothers me that apparently she's, or I should say she, that Seth is... The man's man. Like that, like that, that just bothers me. I'm I, sorry. I, I kind of cringed when I heard Michael Cole say, Here comes the man. I was like, yeah. yeah. So are you, so are you finally coming to my side and how the gimmick's terrible? No, I'm coming to your side in the sense that whoever keeps saying, Here comes the man, needs to get shot in the face. That is violence I do not condone on this <laughs> podcast. We don't control, we, we don't commend that, guys. Don't shoot let's anybody just, in the face. Let's just say that that person needs to be fired. Possibly uh, jobless. Sus- suspended suspended without pay for a few weeks. Can it please be Michael Cole? Why must you do that to <laughs> okay. my boy? Now, here's here's what I will say. I have much love for the fact that people accept Becky Lynch as like the second coming of this like great superstar babyface. Yeah, fine. much love. I it, it, for for what they accept it as, fine. I hate the gimmick. I hope she loses the title tomorrow. The point is that for other people, they like it. Seth Rollins as a babyface champion works. Yes. Lacey Evans as the conniving, you know, like, I'm going to fight you and be this, like, super proud woman heel. Great. Fits the storyline. Mm-hmm. Baron Corbin being one of the greatest heels in the WWE right now perfectly fits being uh, being up against one of the 
biggest baby faces in the company. Can I back you up for a second? Sure. Just I want to back you up. For those who went ahead and said that Baron Corbin was boring on Sunday, screw you. Go ahead. Yes. Everything he does right now as a character is great because it gets actual heat yep. because that's what you're supposed to do as a heel. Yep. So they went with the natural progression because at the at the pay-per-view, Baron Corbin chose Lacey Evans as his special referee. Mm-hmm. Everybody hated it, and then they realized, oh, this makes sense. Absolutely. But it makes sense because of the whole man-on-woman violence regardless. And it goes, and it makes sense because of the storyline. So, you know, even, yeah. So Seth wins at the pay-per-view, right? Everybody celebrates, everybody that. Lacey and Baron come out and say, guess what? We're going to do a tag match, and both your titles are on the line. Because that's where the progression of the story goes. Because I like continuity, and I like things that are kept up with on a weekly and a monthly basis when it comes to my pro wrestling. So, do I think Baron and Lacey are winning at the next pay-per-view? No, I don't. I think it would be a shock if they wanted to do that, but this is a B-level pay-per-view. I don't think they're going to do that. Then again, there were some people that didn't think Drew Gulak was going to be the Cruiserweight champion at a show in Tacoma, Washington on the pre-show. Love it. Can I congratulate you on taking a one-point lead? Just get it oh, out Oh, yes. Of it is uh, 58 to 57. Congratulations. It is It is. It is quite... That is us shaking hands right there. That's just and too, too sweet, sweet, me, bro. We haven't exactly. too sweeted in about two weeks. Uh, you know, this is what happens when you're moving and not doing a show. I was hoping that you wouldn't say that, but I'll do it. <laughs> yes. He moved from the van down by the river to the van next to the RV park. I'm just kidding. Uh, the RV park happens to be your house. Of course. Yeah. Because I am the owner of said place, and I have my own little house at the end of it. So, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the point is, I love the fact that there are times, and this is not always the case, right. and I wish it was more of the norm instead of me having to congratulate them for doing this. When you take a natural progression of a storyline, mm-hmm. when you have two baby faces that people cheer, yeah. regardless of what I think of Becky Lynch, they're she's still, still baby cheered. Faces. That's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. When you have baby faces up against heels that people don't want to see win, and you don't constantly book for heat, and you make your baby faces competent and make them actually likable and people that people should cheer, I love it. The storyline is great. It's the next progression. It's for this pay-per-view. And then both pe- and then all four people can move on. Yeah. Now, if I'm still talking about the Seth and Becky in a relationship thing six months from now, I will hate it. Because it's forced, it's shoehorned, and I don't like it. I don't like it. That's fair. That's you don't, fair. You don't see Zelina Vega and Aleister Black on TV together as a couple. No, you don't. You don't see Corey Graves and Carmella as a couple on television. Corey Graves was silent during Carmella and uh, R-Truth. And by the way, even though they brought it up, you never saw Dean walk to the ring with Renee. No, that's a good point. Yeah, so they're just forcing this storyline. So, again, as a fair man, I will say this storyline, this progression, this match, I'm excited for it because at least I have the illusion. Of course, they have a couple weeks to screw it up, but hopefully they will give me the semblance of Baron Corbin might be the the Universal Champion, and Lacey Evans might be the Raw Women's Champion in the same night. That's pretty crazy. Crazy. I know. It's my one on my three count. I love it. That's great, man. What? Actually, it's the three on your three count. Thank you, because I always I, I always praise the fact that it's one, two, three, and I always screw that up. I, it's I, my I, three new champion. Yes, Drew Gulak and I are celebrating. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um my three on my three count is just something that I have I've been waiting to get off my chest for about a, a four days, five days now. Um, and I just talked about it a little bit with when I said those people who are calling Baron Corbin boring, 
uh, and chaining AEW during the main event of a pay-per-view at WWE events. Uh, screw you. So that was awful. It was awful. Um, now, let me take that back. I shouldn't say that word, screw you, because my sister-in-law doesn't like it when I go ahead and say those things to other people. And I respect my sister-in-law because she's my si- my wife's sister. And, uh, you know, she tries to go ahead and be a better conscience in my head. Now, this is my podcast, and I can go ahead and say whatever the heck I want, but whatever. I want to talk about something that's very, very irritating, and it has to do with Seth Rollins, Lacey Evans, and Baron Corbin. These trolls, the same trolls that were going ahead and saying that the only reason why Kofi Kingston was getting shot up to the main event in February was because it was Black History Month, the same trolls that are saying that Lacey can't go in the ring because she botched a Bailey to Belly, the same trolls that are making fun of Lacey Evans because she tripped on her way to the ring at the Tacoma Dome at Stomping Grounds. The same trolls that don't happen to realize that Baron Corbin has wrestled more matches than Will Ospreay. Yeah, that's right. I'm coming after Will Ospreay. We're about to turn it up and this sucker up in here. Don't you dare come after Lacey Evans, Baron Corbin, and Seth Rollins. Those trolls that are sitting on their computers that are typing it up, they got their two two liters of Mountain Dew and Diet Mountain Dew because they want to try and lose weight but they can't because they're too fat to get off their asses. Those same trolls that have seven boxes of leftover pizza over the last two weeks that go ahead and say that Seth Rollins isn't one of the best wrestlers in the world, that he can't come up to Will Ospreay's level. God bless you. Because all you're doing is adding fuel to the fire and allowing Seth Rollins to prove himself night in and night out and he's going to make you look like a dumbass every single time. Uh, when Lacey Evans finally becomes Raw or SmackDown Women's Champion, and then also, by the way, remember to thank her for serving your country, the same country that allows you to go ahead and drink that two liter of Mountain Dew and that two liter of Diet Mountain Dew and then have the seven boxes of leftover pizza over the last two weeks because your fat ass can't get up because you're trolling everybody on the computer. Thank her. because She allowed you to do that. You're welcome. When Seth Rollins sent out that tweet, that basically um, giving a shout out to the triple threat on the pre-show from Stomping Grounds and congratulating Ricochet and then saying that nobody else in the world can do what he does. He's right. And Will Ospreay, you're never going to listen to this podcast. That's fine with me. That's fine with me. You're a very, very good wrestler. A very good wrestler. And so is more than 75% of the independent wrestling community. Those wrestlers out there, they're very, very good. The guys in AEW, they're great. The guys in NJPW, they're great. Combat Zone, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, Lucha Underground, they're all great. Impact Wrestling Ross, they're all great. There's a reason why Seth Rollins is the man in WWE. There's a reason why AJ Styles is in WWE. There's a reason why Daniel Bryan and Samoa Joe are in WWE. There's a reason why the king of the independent scene, who is officially retired and has been officially retired for five years. By the way, shout out to CM Punk. The pipe bomb was eight years ago today. There's a reason why they came over to WWE. And guess what? Will Ospreay and all these other guys who think that they're better than Seth Rollins and think that they're better than Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, you're not better than those guys. And until you prove yourself to be, I would suggest that you take a back seat And just watch how the big boys do it. And to the trolls, 
God bless you. God bless America, because as much as you can go ahead and type up on your computers and you can say all that you want, I can tell you, have a nice day. That was a rant and a three of the three count right there, ladies and gentlemen. I know you've been uh, jonesing to do one of those, too. Listen, I, I saw the tweets, and I don't even have Twitter. I saw the tweets on, on Sunday and on Monday. You need a Twitter account so that uh, you can combat some of these people. It'd be great. Well, you know, I had a really great conversation today with uh, our buddies at Through the Table. And uh, it was good, healthy dialogue and whatnot. I got my point across. They got their point across. And you know what? Dave Meltzer was still brought up into the conversation somehow, some way. That man trolls me, and I don't even know him. I hate that guy. Because he, because he's in, his, I mean, I don't hate him. I don't, I don't hate anybody. But God, he's a douche bag. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go on, I have to tell you that uh, this podcast is reaching quite a bit of people. I actually found out recently that uh, I have a friend of mine who is in her own little community where they're a bunch of gamers. Yeah. And like all of them listen to wrestling podcasts. And she gave us not one, but two shout-outs during her stream yesterday. Yo, what's up? What's her name? So, Razor, it's a shout-out from the J-Man and Boss Ross Dang, telling right. you to, uh, to keep on listening. We appreciate the shout-outs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, you're awesome for doing that. Hey, we and, freaking love you, man. And it's so, all good. And so, for all you uh, checking us out, either the first time or uh, or if you've listened to every episode, including the ones at the J-Man's house, including the episode where I sound like Darth Vader, Including the one that Andres was producing the show. Shout out to my baby boy. Yes, where yeah. an episode started with your child crying. Yes. Yeah. For those of you that have been with us, we really do appreciate it. We do try and put up a quality product every week, and we hope that you keep joining us every week. For so sure. I- Yo, sh- and again, I can't stress this enough. Shout out to my wife for allowing us to go ahead and do all those episodes at my house for that long. Of course. She was seven, eight, nine months pregnant, uh, and... I can't believe she put up with me all that I time. I can't believe That's she put up sure. with me going ahead and allowing you to stay till like 11.30 at night. There was three different times that Ross had to go ahead and stay almost till midnight because the place that we go ahead and upload our <laughs> podcast on, I'm not going to mention them by name because I'm, I get heated with them sometimes, yes. but it's okay because we upload for free, so I'm not going to even complain. But we had to upload it twice. Oh, it was, it was, it was crazy. 11.45, and you'd been at work since 10. I'd been awake since like 5.15. True story. True story, but thank you very much. We appreciate that. So I just wanted to give that shout out because she did rep us on her stream twice. And by the way, I didn't ask for it either time. I was just, you know, trying to hit her. Yo, hashtag too sweet, man. Too sweet me, bro. Exactly. So uh, shout out. Shout out to her. So and all of the uh, people that listen to us. It is match segment showtime before we get into our top five extreme rules, which we are already running a little on the long side as usual. So, I'm going to fast track us through match segment show of the week because it's the easiest play to do that. Absolutely. I'm going to take the lead on this. My match of the week, it was a toss-up between two matches because, to me, there were two matches that are deserving of match of the week this week. I agree. Uh, I loved the cage match that was the main event of NXT. Loved it. Mm -hmm. It was a very similar finish to the Dolph Ziggler and Kofi Kingston match. Um, Shirai basically slammed the cage door on Baszler's face and Baszler fell out of the cage and won. Yeah. And then of course Shirai turned heel. 
mm-hmm. which was a little off-putting, but I think it's kind of necessary for that character because mm-hmm. she, she attacked Candice LeRae. Absolutely. My match of the week is none other than Ricochet versus AJ Styles because I'm here to tell you now, I've been a big fan of Ricochet, Prince Puma, whatever you want to call him. He is he's amazing. He is the one and only. And I get it. It's the United States title. And actually, was it a title match? I don't think it was. It was not. No, because okay. AJ won. Yes, he did. Yeah. You're right. So the point see, I loved it so much I forgot the finish. It's okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> the the point is, if we're going to treat Ricochet as a big deal, and you're gonna let the best wrestler in your company, that's my opinion. It's not everybody's opinion, but it's my opinion. The best wrestler in that company is AJ Styles. Best wrestler in the world is still AJ Styles. So when you put him in the ring against Ricochet, win, lose, or draw, it does not hurt AJ Styles. It does not hurt Ricochet. By the way, AJ worked heel in that match. They did not they did not say they were that he was turning heel. I know his club members or Gallows and Anderson, whatever you want to call them, the good brothers, whatever. I know they were kind of teasing it, but they didn't go through with it. But AJ worked heel in that match. Basically. And when you have somebody that's just able to put on a good main event, mm-hmm. I have no complaints. By the way, that was AJ's first match back in like about a month and a half. And he looked like he'd been wrestling this entire time. Yep. No rust. Guy's awesome. Love him, even though his hair still bothers me. Ricochet and AJ Styles is my match of the week. So uh, I'll keep this short. AJ and Ricochet was my match of the week as well. Um, again, it was a toss-up between that and the Steel Cage match. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, though, Ross. I kind of thoroughly enjoyed that uh, eight-man elimination tag team match on Raw. Uh, DB and Rowan and the the Revival and New Day and the Usos. I mean, you how can you go wrong when you have the best tag team in WWE today, the second best tag team in WWE today, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, and then one of the top three wrestlers on planet Earth and a guy who's a big man who specializes in being tag teams. How in God's name do you go wrong with that? And then you add on top of the fact that the entire arena is rooting for one guy because it's his domain. They're in his playground. I love it. But, no, it was AJ and Ricochet all day. I mean, you take Ricochet, who I have been completely astounded upon for the last year and a half and you take alan jones who is the best wrestler in the world and you put them together and by the way so i've been have you noticed that the whole commercial breaks with wwe how they're kind of doing it and they're kind of not so where they started the match the main event they started it at the last 12 minutes of the show so the show went without a commercial break for the entirety of the match that's on purpose which, which is on purpose now, that's the reason why they've been doing the two out of three falls matches so many times the past couple of weeks. That might get a little annoying, but when you have a situation with what you did with AJ and Ricochet, it doesn't hurt it in the slightest because there's no commercial interruption and there's no hurting of the momentum, and you get something that was as good as what AJ and Ricochet delivered. And that's part of the reason why everything on NXT delivers because there is no commercial break, except for when they actually go to a commercial break after a match or segment is over, which is great. So, AJ and Ricochet is my match of the week. I loved it. Segment of the week, I'm going to be extremely brief. For everything I said about it in my three count, the truth segment with the 24-7 title with Drake Maverick, and I'm even throwing the match in the middle of that because it was part of it, because they had Drake Maverick be like, my 
My life is in shambles. My wife won't even talk to me. It, it just... He put out a tweet that said he hasn't consummated his marriage yet. His and, then marriage of course, yet. and then, of course, by the way, they made a constipation joke. Funny. Yes. Because, again, it made sense because R-Truth's an idiot. That and Drake Maverick still has problems with his bladder, clearly. Watch Survivor Series 2018. And also, uh, R-Truth uh, calling him Hornswoggle is still pretty funny. <laughs> again, longevity-wise, this may suck. Yeah. But for now, it's my segment of the week. Fair enough. My segment of the week is much slack as I gave it in the three count. I mean, Undertaker being back on. Undertaker making, Undertaker making a surprise return when you absolutely least expect it and you hear the gong out of nowhere is awesome. Any, I mean, he's probably going to look like crap at Extreme Rules. He probably is. But he looked like a million bucks on Monday night. So it was dope. It's probably the last ever time I'm going to go ahead and give Undertaker segment of the week. So I'm going to make this one count. Taker, fair, segment fair, of the week. Fair enough. Uh, my show of the week is NXT. We had a great breakout tournament match between two guys people have not seen on TV in WWE and NXT ever. Mm -hmm. It was given time. It was taken seriously. We also got to see Keith Lee be Keith Lee, which is always entertaining. Yep. Uh, and then we got to see an awesome cage match. In and, what is the end of that feud, because Shirai has turned heel, right. and now she's going into a program with Candice LeRae. Shout out to Candice LeRae. She's getting the exposure she needs. And by the way, once again, we are keeping Shayna Baszler still strong. Even though she fell out of the cage and won the match, she's still the champ. Absolutely. Because, again, you keep her on the belt until you have a plan to take the belt off of her. So if the plan was not Io Shirai, they now have some time to figure out who's going to do it. So when you tell me that there's a tournament match that's given time that's taken seriously, by the way, this was also a show where I didn't have to watch a two out of three falls match because by SmackDown, I was tired of it. Mm -hmm. And again, there are still enough lulls in the two main shows this week for me that I give NXT show of the week. My, NXT, my uh, show of the week was 205 Live. What? <laughs> Total the line. What? <laughs> I just wanted to see what your reaction would be. <laughs> it was actually, oh, in all sincerity, it was uh, NXT. Uh, again, the cage match was awesome. You forgot the Forgotten Sons versus the Street Profits for the NXT I chose to forget that match because the Street Profits promo was so terrible. Okay, let's concentrate on the match. The match was fine. Of course you'd say It was that. in the middle of it. It's okay. I enjoyed the Keith Lee squash match more. Okay, fair enough. But again, the cage match, the cage match was classic enough. Bask in his glory. I did the Keith Lee post. <laughs> Fair enough. the The cage match was 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 classic. Mm -hmm. That it propelled NXT to be the best show of the week over all the other iterations of WWE programming. And by the way, it was a kind of strong ish week for WWE programming. Raw was solid. SmackDown was solid. Yeah, NXT was great though. It was awesome. So NXT show of the week. It's top five time. We haven't done one of these in a while, so. When was the last time we did it? Uh, uh, top five cash-ins, I think, is what it was, like five weeks ago. We did two back-to-back -back on Money in the Bank. Those yep. are the last two we did. That's what I have, top five MITB cash-ins. There you go. So, because Extreme Rules is in a mere few weeks. Yeah, three weeks. We have decided that we're at least going to do one, maybe a second top five involving Extreme Rules. Yep. This week's top five is top five best matches at Extreme Rules pay-per-views, meaning it has to have happened at an Extreme Rules pay-per-view, meaning it could be a regular match, it could be an Extreme Rules match, which, by the way, that may be, 
the next week that we do something involving an extreme rules stipulation or something of that nature. But I was talking to J-Man, and I said, okay, how long has the Extreme Rules pay-per-view been around? It's been 10 years. It's been 10 years. So, as a caveat for those of you that are listening that are wondering why certain matches are not going to be on here, I excluded the one-night stand pay-per-views because those are different shows. Extreme Rules has also gained its own identity at this point. As the one night where it's hardcore and all this other stuff, even though you can't have blood anymore, and it kind of ruins the whole stipulation. I get it. Some people don't think blood's a big deal, but to me, cage matches without blood, most of them, didn't say all, most of them, you don't need them to happen because you can't showcase the gore. Right. Now, by the way, we just watched a steel cage match that was pretty good because they went for... Now, now, me, I would have done pinfalls, then submissions, then escape. Yeah. They just went submissions and escape. They didn't really go for a lot of pinfalls. But that's the natural progression. You're having a regular wrestling match, yeah, then you then get too tired, then you're just the trying two, to escape. They're also the type of wrestlers that are more submission-based. Well, that's not true. Io Shirai is a f- high flyer, but yeah. Well, I was saying even with Kofi and Dolph. Oh, yeah, lots of ankle locks towards the end of that match. You're absolutely which was, right. Which was very weird. I'm, I'm guessing Kurt Angle booked that match. <laughs> I, I mean, Dolph is a wrestler's wrestler, so that makes true. sense. So, top five matches that happened at Extreme Rules pay-per-views. Now, I told the J-Man that we are not going to have honorable mentions because I knew we were going to be long on time anyway. Mm-hmm. So, for those of you that are wondering why we left certain things off the list, because they didn't make our top five. Because a- that's the point of these, because they're supposed to be debatable and they're supposed to say, wow, you left certain matches on and certain matches off your list. Yep. It makes it more polarizing. So, would you like me to go first, or would you like to go first? Go ahead and go first. All right. Now, I will tell you that there was a late addition to my list, because I had forgotten that I had crossed off everything and left six matches. Okay. So, I had to make a last-second cross-off on my list that I will not mention. Ah, man. All right, go ahead. My number five on best matches that happened at Extreme Rules pay-per-views. John Cena and Brock Lesnar at Extreme Rules 2012. I'm actually surprised it's on your list. It is. And the reason it's on the list is because everybody was wondering how the John Cena and Brock Lesnar feud was going to go. And let me tell you something. For as much crap... As I give Brock Lesnar in a lot of things, Mm -hmm. I will tell you with a straight face that the John Cena matches, actually all very entertaining. Very much so. Now, you could say, well, it's because John Cena was in the match and he's a good dance partner for Brock Lesnar, who's basically supposed to be doing certain things in certain matches. And by the way, he's had dance partners, Brock, that have not lived up to their bill or the match was booked in a certain way to where they both didn't look good dean ambrose anybody that's a perfect example braun Strowman is another perfect example and that's nothing against dean or braun that's just how it worked out so in this case when you have a strong feud between brock lesnar and john cena and it's given this position at this at, at this point in both of their careers mm-hmm. 2012 So we're still talking prime Cena. We're still talking prime Lesnar. Exactly. So when you put all those ingredients together, I realize that on some people's list, this is much higher because people loved this match. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I happen to think that the squash match at a different pay-per-view had much more impact. For multiple reasons. Yes. So, I am not trying to equate the two matches. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that for an Extreme Rules pay-per-view match, this makes my list. It is number five. That's fair. That's fair. Good shout. Good shout. All right. Let's get this ball rolling. My number five is Shield versus Evolution at Extreme Rules 2014. This match, say it with me, Ross. Turn on your mic. Let's say it together. I don't know if we're going to say the same thing, but go oh, ahead. There's one word that we're going to say. Does it start with an F? you damn right it does. Okay. In three, two, one, fire. fire. This match was so dope. This match was so dope. This match, that match was so dope. I mean... <laughs> Damn, dude, this match was fire. I love this match. Triple H, Randy Orton, Batista putting over Roman and Seth and Dino. I mean, they were fighting all over the arena. Like, basically, view it this way. It was their Fastlane 2019 match against Corbin Lashley and McIntyre, except against the greatest, one of the greatest factions we've ever seen, against three absolute Hall of Famers, against guys who knew what their position was and were ready to put over these three gentlemen. Um, I mean, it's funny. It was just your typical six-man tag, but it they broke all kinds of rules, and they fought in the crowd. There was one moment where Bronze is jumping off the... Uh, the stands into Triple H and Randy Orton and Ambrose was down there too, and uh, Roman gets the win when he spears Batista. Uh, I mean, I mean they went like they went rock. They just went ballistic for 19 minutes straight, and it was fabulous, fabulous. It was she. It was prime Shield and different thinking evolution. Loved it. Well, there's gonna be a theme with my list. And it shouldn't surprise really anybody. Fair enough. Because it was probably the best Extreme Rules pay-per-view we've ever had. My number four on my best matches that happened at Extreme Rules pay-per-views, the two out of three falls match between Sheamus and Daniel Bryan at Extreme Rules 2012. Get in there, Ross. Get in there. So, for those of you that are wondering why your boy Triple H loves Sheamus... And he does. And he loves Daniel Bryan, by the way. Yes, but when you when we say Triple H guys, sorry, you boy Triple H guys, yeah. Sheamus is pretty near the top of that list. For sure. Him and Randy and Batista, absolutely. I mean, I will still tell you to this day that one of the most shocking WWE title changes they've ever done was Sheamus beating John Cena in a tables match. Absolutely. So, when you put, and by the way, Sheamus and Daniel Bryan, there have been a lot of... There have been a lot of jokes because of their WrestleMania match at, um, why is the WrestleMania? Thank you. I was I was about to say 18, and I would have been horribly wrong. <laughs> that would have been a decade too early. I was trying to think of the venue and the number, and I blanked, so thank you. Miami WrestleMania 28. 28. 
where the match lasted 18 seconds. And then there was another pay-per-view where I believe they were also supposed to wrestle. WrestleMania 27, they actually had a dark match. There you go. Yeah, for the U.S. title. But then I think also the plan was before WrestleMania 30 happened that they were supposed to wrestle at that that WrestleMania too. Until they got their heads out of their asses, yes. So the joke was that (laughs) Sheamus and Daniel Bryan's feud nobody wants to see. Kind of like Brock and Roman nobody wants to see anymore, even though they've only wrestled three times or four times. Is it four times now? It's four times. Uh, it's not like Orton and Cena who wrestled like a bazillion times. Right. And then you know what the funny thing is? Because I'm going to agree with you because I'm so happy you mentioned this match. And there's a reason why I didn't put it in, why I haven't mentioned it yet. But these two have ri- ridiculous chemistry. Ridiculous chemistry. Which again goes back to the fact that when Sheamus didn't have all of his ailments, which unfortunately his career's kind of been crippled by injuries recently. It really has. And of course. Daniel Bryan had an injury that almost cost him his career. Thank goodness he's back. Yep. But you want to watch a two out of three falls match that A, people cared about on, again, Extreme Rules in 2012 was probably considered a random Mm pay-per-view. Because remember, it's still before SummerSlam. Yes, it was the pay-per-view right after WrestleMania 28. People are still kind of in that mode of, okay, we've had WrestleMania we're kind of waiting for SummerSlam. I realized Money in the Bank's kind of in the middle of that, too, which that was weird, pl- placing it in July for a while. I'm glad they moved it. The point is, it's a B pay-per-view. It's always been a B pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So when you have an event where, oh, it's a two out of three falls match with these two guys, like, I don't know if anybody was really expecting what they got, which, again, as a, as a fan of the product, okay, I like being swerved yeah. the right way. I like surprises the right way. When I have low expectations and something overperforms it, I like it. When I have high expectations and it doesn't meet it, I'm upset by it. Right. Because I have high standards as a fan that there are certain things I want, and there are certain things as a fan that even though I may not get them, I accept them because it's pro wrestling. So, and you know what? They not only had to compete with everything that you just said, but then they also had to compete with two mega main events that night. Oh. they I mean, it was Brock and Cena as the main event. And then to top it all off, they were in Chicago that night. Go which, back go back and watch Extreme Rules 2012 to watch Brock and Cena, this match, and the Chicago Street Fight. It, um, amazing. Amazing the fact that Sheamus and Daniel Bryan basically stole the show. And by the way, people started taking Sheamus very seriously after that night. Yes. And Daniel Bryan, clearly. Which, again, that goes back to when you have a match on a pay-per-view in which I don't know if anybody was really expecting it, and yet you gathered natural, organic support for two different guys. And by the way, it doesn't hurt that they were in Chicago that night. Of course. Yeah. So that is my number four on my top five Extreme Rules pay-per-view matches. That's a, that's a great shout. and I, That's a great shout. Number four on my list. Uh, it was the first Extreme Rules pay-per-view in 2009, and it was the main event of it. It is Edge and Jeff Hardy in a ladder match for the World Heavyweight Championship. That is a hell of a ladder match. I mean, you take the two maestros of the gimmick, the, the gods of this gimmick. This is what they did best. Go back to WrestleMania 2000. Go back to WrestleMania 17. Go back to SummerSlam in 2000. I mean, just go back in time and witness these two men completely obliterate each other along with four other dudes. And then they did it to themselves by themselves. 
And this is prime Jeff Hardy, prime super duper over on the cusp of superstardom, already a superstar who just didn't have a legitimate title run. And yes, he had won the WWE title the year before, but they kind of messed up with the gimmick and then he was kind of drugged up a little bit and blah, blah, blah. This is also prime edge i'm ruling the roost smackdown oh yeah this was, yes. he was the heel of the of the century at this point like he was amazing and then hardy pulls it off crowd is going nuts in new orleans and to top it all off cm punk cashes in his money in the bank contract for the second year in a row and cements his awesome heel turn which, by the way, led to an amazing TLC match at, two, at SummerSlam a couple of months later. Um, but this was a great main event for a first-time pay-per-view. This is what put Extreme Rules on the map. Like, I mean, you take two of the best ever to ever do it in a ladder match and you put them together with high stakes. I mean, what the hell else did you expect? I'm going to continue my theme with number three on my list. 2012 Extreme Rules was fire. The Chicago street fight between Chris Jericho and CM Punk is the third, is my number three on my top five Extreme Rules pay-per-view matches. By the way, as we've mentioned about 17 times, it was in Chicago. Uh, the actual feud between Chris Jericho and CM Punk, I will assure you that both men actually loved that feud. Yes, and even though there have been certain things that have happened since that match in which uh, they've actually talked some trash about each other since that match, amongst other things. But when you put together the fact that Chris Jericho might be one of the most talented wrestlers ever due to lots of different things. Creative. Creatively how he adjusts in the ring, how he adjusts his gimmick, how he kind of transcends every little bit that he does with every little return that he does. His promos, time. his promo skills are just untouchable. His in-ring work is, even though he is slowing down as a performer, Impeccable. is still extremely good. Yep. Better than more than half of the wrestling performers in the world all over the place. And then you put in the fact that CM Punk was still one of the hottest things going at this point. Again, this was not... You know, this was not 2011 CM Punk, but this was 2012 CM Punk. I realized that I'm making it a uh, I'm making a distinct difference here. This was 434 days worth of a title reign, CM Punk. Correct. So again, we're it, it's still in the midst of that, but I'm saying that CM Punk in 2011 was very different than the CM Punk we had in 2012. Absolutely, he was muted in 2012 when it came to his mic skills. Yes. So. Everything encompasses, and by the way, Chicago street fights or street fights in this case, it was just Chicago street fight. Street fights can be very boring. This was not. This was not. Hardcore matches can be very boring. This one was not. Okay. When you put together a match with two guys that can pretty much do anything, yes. No matter what stipulation you give them, they're going to make it not only believable, they're going to make it so that you care. And by the way, that's one of the biggest, most important things as a wrestling fan we want our wrestling to be. We want to care. The worst thing is to give us a match that no one cares about. 
because there's either no story or there's no buildup or there's not a baby face we can get behind or there's no heel that we absolutely need to hate, mm-hmm. right? Which, by the way, any and all of those elements are important in a match because you want to be invested in a pay-per-view, in a match, in a show. You want to be invested in these things, which is why I've said repeatedly that certain things, whether it's a gimmick match or a finisher or a character, these things matter because I want to be invested. I don't want to watch my television and my pay-per-view and not care. So again, I implore you, go watch, again, I, I it, it, it is negative connotation, go watch a B pay-per-view from 2012 from WWE and tell me that that pay-per-view isn't good. Because it is. So my number three on my top five extreme rules pay-per-view matches for the third consecutive spot in my list, a match from Extreme Rules 2012, the Chicago Street Fight between Chris Jericho and CM Punk. I, I love, you know what I love? The fact that you just didn't give a damn because I told myself I there was no way I could put three shows from this, um, three matches from the same show on my top five. It just wasn't fair because there was, a, and by the way, let that be, let it be known. That when you go throughout the 10-year history of Extreme Rules, there are some classics in there, ladies and gentlemen. Classics. So for Ross to go ahead and pick three straight matches from the same pay-per-view, just let that speak volumes of how good Extreme Rules 2012 actually was. Speaking of Extreme Rules 2012, my number three just so happens to be John Cena versus Brock Lesnar. I mean... It was between this, the two out of three falls, and the Chicago street fight. But when you really look at it, when you look at everything, I've already given my peace of mind of how I think of a two out of three falls match. I just, it makes it too, you know, it's just, you know what's going to happen at some point. And then the Chicago street fight between Punk and Jericho was great, but you just, you could feel the big fight feel between Cena and Lesnar. And the thing about Lesnar in 2012, in particular in the John Cena match, it was the closest that we would ever see Brock Lesnar get back to his original form of 2002 and 2004, where he wasn't hitting 15 suplexes uh, in a match and then hitting four F5s. No, Kimura Lock was, was used. All kinds of different slams. At one point, you go ahead and see him pick up uh, Charles Robinson, the referee, by the belt loop and then throw him into the ring. Like, this is prime rip to the gills Lesnar. Back um, after having fought in the UFC for the last three years and being the heavyweight champion of the world, um, it, this match and the CM Punk match at Super, uh, I'm sorry, at SummerSlam the next year uh, are the closest that we would ever see Brock Lesnar be to what he was at his original run in the Ruthless Aggression Era. And by the way, this, this to me is one of his top two matches ever. I genuinely believe that. Um, the only problem that I have with this match, and there is a problem that I have with this match, and I'm sure that basically everybody who is a wrestling fan has an issue with this exact same scenario. As much as I love John Cena, John Cena should not have won this match. That was the wrong call. Now, granted, as crazy as it might seem, John Cena was able to go ahead and get Chicago on his side by the end of the match, which is only something John Cena could do because he's John Cena. He can do anything at this point. Um, but, I mean, for all the shenanigans and everything, this match was f- really good, really good, and it is number three on my top five Extreme Rules pay-per-view matches ever. I will tell you with a straight face, my number two I had as my number one. 
And then I decided that I had to re-watch the number one to make sure it was going to be the number one on my list. Okay. My number two on my top five Extreme Rules pay-per-view list here is S.H.I.E.L.D. versus Evolution. Okay. Now, I will get to why I picked number one when I get to it. I don't think that you and I have the same number one. That's okay. S.H.I.E.L.D. and Evolution as a feud is pretty much perfect. Yes, it was. Now, the skepticism is that Evolution should have won the first match. Who said that? Triple H? Because if you wanted the feud to last longer, right? If S.H.I.E.L.D. wins the first match, who cares if Evolution wants a rematch? Because Evolution were the veterans. S.H.I.E.L.D. had something to prove to them. Now, that being said, I'm perfectly fine with the fact that we got two matches out of them. We got Blue Tista out of it, (laughs) right? We also got Batista quitting and waving his hand. And we got the fact that the Shield were kept the monsters that they were, and they beat three Hall of Famers. And Randy Orton was also very, very good in this role. Randy Orton gets completely understated throughout this entire run. It's true. But the point is that this feud was awesome. Yes, it was. And this match was great. This was, of the two matches, I personally think that this was better than the second one, even though the second one was awesome. So, the second one was the elimination match. The the no-holds-barred elimination match, yes. yes. In which the Shield pitched a shutout. That's correct. Great match. Absolutely amazing. This was the, okay, are we going to have Evolution go over? Because, by the way, booking-wise... That actually makes more sense. Yes, it does. In, in, plus, it's it's the very WWE thing to do. So, when you put the Shield over in the first match, even though they've been put over as a group forever, like I can probably count on one hand how many matches they lost in six-man tags. It's not many. No, it's not. One of their best matches that they lost in was that Elimination Chamber match against the Wyatts. Okay? But aside from that match... You can't really list a whole lot of other great, memorable matches that they lost as a team. Right? Correct. So, if you're going to keep them strong, and you're going to keep them the shield, and you're going to keep them as we're building three main eventers, what's the best thing you can do but shock everybody and have them just beat three main eventers the first time out? It's great. And that's why it's number two on my list. All right. Really curious what your number one is. I think you're going to be a little bit surprised of what my number two is, unless you completely shock me. Go for it. Uh, the Fatal Five Way in 2017. Uh, if if some of you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, this is okay. Samoa Joe defeated in a 29 minute match Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Bray Wyatt. Those five guys in one match for half an hour, Ross. No rules, no countouts. They just went at it. Like fast pace, no slowing down. Urunagi's through tables. Curb Stomp was back, spearing everybody in half. Finn Balor flying like a crazy person. Bray Wyatt at his absolute monstrosity best because he had just come off his WWE title run. Samoa Joe finally being put over the right way. He went on to face Brock Lesnar in a very underrated match the next pay-per-view, but that's not the point. I mean, this match is... 
So good. So, I, it gets overlooked all the time. But this was legitimately, this should have been a five-star match, but because Dave Meltzer doesn't know what he's doing, he only gave it 4.75. 4. Uh, I mean, I, there's not a lot of things to say except this match was dope. Dope as all could be. Uh, I mean, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns. What else can you possibly say? Five of the best in the world. Uh, in a gimmick, in an environment that suits essentially every guy in the ring. It's fabulous. It's fabulous, and it's number two on my list because it's it should have been number one, but my number one is so dope that it's not num- that this is not number one, and I'm sorry. All right, it's that time. I have to know. I have a feeling I know what it is. I know it's not the same as mine. The best Extreme Rules pay-per-view match of all time from Extreme Rules 2016. AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns. And it's not even close. And I adored both Shield Evolution matches. And I was fully prepared to make it number one. And then I went back and watched. Now, what people are going to say is, well, it was AJ Styles that made this match great. I'm here to tell you something right now. And maybe this is controversial, and maybe it's not. That is Roman Reigns' best match. Yes. Now, I will tell you, it does not hurt that the best wrestler on the planet was his opponent. It does not. However, I will tell you that as much as Roman Reigns is essentially John Cena light as a character in which he is asked to do certain things and he's the baby face that people feel like are getting shoved down their throats, I could go on and on about Roman Reigns. I love Roman Reigns. I'm just saying that's how people perceive him, unfortunately. Right. With all the Daniel Bryan stuff, again, I could go on. Watch that match and tell me that is not Roman Reigns' best wrestling match since he's been with the company. And by the way, he was in six-man tags for the better part of two years. Or tag team matches with Seth Rollins for the better part of two years. Or one-on-one matches with Seth Rollins. And then he was made the singles star that he still is. Yep. And tell me that he did not equally pull his... equally pull his weight against the best wrestler on the planet because he did Mm -hmm. that match bar none is I I hope I pray that they do that feud again Uh, yep because again some time has elapsed and maybe they need to do it where maybe eventually they turn Roman Reigns heel Mm. I'm just saying because by the way, AJ can work heel, and it'll and it'll be ter- and it'll be totally fine. Whether it's he's just working it or he is a heel. Well, he it, was almost on the verge of. T- I mean, he turned heel the next night. It will work. Yep. Okay. So what I'm telling you is, if you just book Roman Reigns and guys like Braun Strowman and guys like Bobby Lashley, guys like and Samoa Joe, Samoa Joe and Drew McIntyre and all these other people we give praise to, right? If you just book them simply mm-hmm. and correctly. And Kevin Owens as well, by the way. Yes. Yeah. If you just book them, not with patience, but just book them in a way that still is simple and effective, which, by the way, this was. Yeah. As great of a match as it is, it's still very simple. Yeah. That's what I love about this match is the fact that in amongst the fact that you have two of the better performers in the company, again, I've said it, a million times I'll say it again. 
the best wrestler on the planet, right? And the biggest superstar on the company. Their chosen one. You put them in a ring together, and this is what you got. You got magic. Yep. That is why it is my number one, and it is the best match at an Extreme Rules pay-per-view. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you and I have known each other for a very long time at this point, and uh, we've come to the conclusion that nine times out of ten, the filler between our top fives tends to be different, but we kind of sort it out because it ends up being mostly the same, and then our number ones tend to be the same. I want to ask you a legitimate question. What do you think is my number one on this list? So if it is not that match, because it's you, mm-hmm. the four-way at that same pay-per-view. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and have you read this. What does that say right at number one? Wow. Damn right it is. <laughs> damn right it is. Get out of here. He picked the same match, you by the way. You damn right. Stop. AJ Styles and Roman Reigns is the best match in the history of Extreme Rules. It's not even close. I am screaming away from the microphone so you guys can hear me and I don't blow out your eardrums. If you didn't pick this match as the best match in Extreme Rules, you're an idiot! And then not to mention Seth Rollins' return at the end of this match, which was fire. It was fire, Ross. I'm done. I have nothing else to say. I also would have told you that you also might have picked uh, Christian and Del Rio. Uh, I would have put that like around five or six. Now, I will tell you, Mm -hmm. I hated the immediate aftermath of that. I I had a feeling that that was the match that you were discussing. Because two nights later, he lost the title to 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 uh, Randy Orton. Now, I hated that feud at the time. I love it now. In because hindsight, of, it's amazing. Yes. Yes. So, I even on purpose did not discuss with you our list at all. Yes. And we both picked the same match as number one. <laughs> it's, it's so Look, good. I'm telling you, as I mentioned before, I was fully ready to put Shield Evolution as number one. And I told myself, no. you know what? I need to watch that match again. No, no. Which, by the way, before that, I watched Extreme Rules 2012, which was the other 60% of my list. Yeah. But the point is... That all I had to do was watch one match again. Which, by the way, you can watch on the WWE Network. Not trying to be a show for them at all. The point is that I went back and watched that match. Yeah, It's not even close. It's not. Okay, so here's the thing. I I mentioned that this 10-year run of Extreme Rules has had some absolute classics. 2009, you had Edge and Hardy. 2010... Um, you had Cena and Batista. Crappy ending, but great last man standing match. 2011, you had Christian and Del Rio, and then a great triple threat steel cage match between Cena, Morrison, and Miz. 2012, you had the trifecta that Rosso went ahead and eloquently talked about. 2013, you had a couple of good matches in there. Um, I believe, what was it? Uh, oh, Cena and Ryback in a last man standing match. You had Brock Lesnar versus Triple H in a steel cage. 2014, you had Shield and Evolution. 2015, people tend to forget about this. Roman Reigns and the Big Show in a last man standing match. That match is um completely underrated it's probably one of the best big show matches in the last decade it's one of roman reigns best ever matches no problem which is amazing because the big show roman reigns feud is widely panned for many good reasons that match is not one of them 2016 you have obviously the best match in extreme rules history then you have that fatal four-way that he so 
eloquently referred to. Miz, Cesaro, Owens, and Zayn with nothing on the line. Well, no, that's not true. The IC title was on the line. No, I thought it was a random. No, you you know what? You're right. I'm I'm thinking of a different fatal four with with those okay. four guys. Okay, no, though. no, no, it's okay. You're right. Yes. So that was for the IC title, which amazing by the way, amazing match, which basically stole the show until the until match the that we main lost. event. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, they also it was also Jericho and uh, Ambrose in an asylum match, which they did the best that they could with what they had. And then 2017, I just talked about it. The fatal five way, unbelievable. And then last year's classic. It wasn't the thirty man, thirty man, thirty minute Iron Man match. Thank you. It was uh, AJ Styles versus Rusev. Like, just classics littered all over the place in here. Extreme rules. I'm. I mean, I'm so happy that you and I. Just, <laughs> it's Styles was, and Reigns, dude. He was now, mind you, and this is this is where we'll wrap. Mind you, I've done my entire list. Straight-faced, straight-laced. I've had very little reaction out of you. Yeah. By the way, that's not a bad thing. I'm mm-hmm. just simply saying that you've we've essentially just I been listening to list. each other. So we've been listening to each other. You're going back and forth. You were so paranoid that I was not going to pick the same number one as you because we'd had some variations in our list. And then as soon as I said it, I still saw zero react. Like normally when we agree on something, you lose jump- it. I was jumping in my heart, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to show it because I wanted you to know, saw, see my reaction. So literally, I got done. He shows me his book, and then he freaks out. It's kind of right. cool. Damn right. Which is why we don't discuss our lists beforehand. Which is why it's organic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so next week, let's talk about next week really quickly. <laughs> next week is um, it's Fourth of July. Happy, happy. Uh, oh, early yes. 4th of July to you guys. Very, very, uh, very good segue into a programming note, which yes. is that we are actually going to be recording the show next week on a Wednesday. Which means we'll drop it on 4th of July so you guys can go ahead and listen while you're cracking open some beers. And if you don't drink beers like myself, you're going to go ahead and have yourself a nice glass of Pepsi. You know, grilling some burgers, grilling some steaks, grilling some hot dogs, unless yes. you're Jewish. If you want to go ahead and grill up some Hebrew nationals, Lachayim. That's not the point. We are going to not do three count um, and match segment show of the week because WWE is probably going to go ahead and do a holiday related episode for both Raw and SmackDown. So Correct. Ross and I have decided to come up with an unbelievably cool idea, which is probably going to be stolen by other people. That's not the point. We're going to do uh, mid season awards for WWE. Yes, we are. And we are very much looking forward to doing that. So essentially what's going to happen is we're kind of going to do not necessarily an overview, but what we're going to do is because we're essentially at about the halfway point in the year. Yeah, just a little bit over. Just a little bit point. over. We're going to go over the first half of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have, uh, let's see, we're going to have match of the year. We're going to have pay-per-view of the year. We're going to have pay-per-view of the year, and then we're going to have uh, male and female superstar of the year thus far. Absolutely. And then uh, we'll, uh, we also plan on doing our best to drop in another top five. That will probably be Extreme Rules related. That yeah. has not been finalized, though. But I liked the theme that we did with Money in the Bank, uh, where we did back-to-back weeks that were both Money in the Bank themed. Yeah. So if we come up with that, we may just have a totally random one. Who knows? Uh, but yes, that is what we are doing next week. So it's a day early. Not a dollar short, though. Uh, and again, it will be uh, a mid-season award show. We're looking, we're looking forward to it. So a little bit different of a show, but I'm glad we had a regular show this week, three count and everything like that. Feels good to be back. Yes, indeed. It's, Absol- good, to, it's yeah. good to have you back. It's uh, it's finally good that you're finally moved in. Well, I mean, my wife is still unpacking stuff, and she probably would have wanted me home this evening, but she loves me, and she let me do the podcast well, tonight. 
The point is I'm that I buy mean, her some roses on the way home. It's it's not like you're not helping her unpack. It's true. You're just you're just here with me right now. That's all. That's yeah. <laughs> listen, uh, listen back to that. <laughs> <laughs> The Double Turn Podcast is where you can find us on Instagram, one and only JMan19, Ross the Real Boss 85. Those are all of our Instagram handles. Boss Ross TDT, that's T D as in dog T. That's my Twitter handle. Hopefully, the JMan will have a Twitter account within the next couple weeks. Again, I'm just saying because it's another place for you right. to be able to uh, reach out to people. And by the way, so. we, we plan. We've been uh, working very hard behind the scenes on some things, and uh, we are. We're going to do it. We're going to go ahead and put this podcast, if we can, hopefully on iTunes in the next few weeks. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. We're, we're going to do our best on that. So currently, we're on a couple of other platforms, but we want to try and reach out to you guys as best as we can so you guys can enjoy the fire that we bring every single week. So who knows? We may, uh, and, and, and I know I didn't mention this to you, but there is a chance that uh, we may need to start a YouTube channel as well. We may need to do that. We need to discuss some things, because Mr. I'm Creative pretty Director sh- and Executive I'm, Producer. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be viable. Check Interesting. That out. Just saying. It's an idea. All right. Fair enough. So, uh, did all the socials, did everything with that. So, yeah, next show again uh, will be on Wednesday, which Dropping means it early. will drop a day early. Yeah, so instead of double ter- DTP Fridays, it'll be DTP Thursday one week. That's all good. I love it. There it is. For the J-Man, this has been Boss Ross, and this has been the Devil Turn Wrestling Podcast. We will catch you on the flip side. You got shouted out by the executive director of SmackDown. Holla at your boy.